So if you think about it as being pain, you're going to feel pain. Think about it as each sensation that I feel is helping me move towards meeting my child. And welcome back to episode 50 of That's So Maven. It has been a week, let me tell you. So first off, thank you so much for all your kind words on last week's episode with Kurt. I'm glad you guys really enjoyed it. A lot of you said you got to get a sense of who I am when I'm not in my presenter healthy Maven role, and I'm glad that you could see a piece of that, and also that you want to have Kurt back on the show. So I will have to do some more bribing with energy balls, and I will keep you posted if he is going to make another appearance on the show. But since that episode aired, some things happened in my life. So as you guys know, I worked really, really hard to try and get my stress levels down and to really support my self-care. But sometimes I think, you know, our bodies are stressed out even when our mind hasn't figured it out yet. And, you know, I've, I've looked back on the last couple of months and I feel as though I've been able to, you know, stay pretty calm and relaxed. And then I list all the things that I've had on my plate or are coming up on my plate. And I realize that I actually have a lot of things going on and that maybe I need to really take on radical self-care and try and, you know, slow things down as much as I can. And basically the tell-all sign of that was that by the end of last week, I was experiencing a lot of pain, and long story short, if you want to get the the full story, you should check out my Instagram, because I, I told the whole story on there, but basically, I got the shingles, so I thought the shingles only happened to people who were older, but I was wrong, it can happen anytime, but it is often brought on by stress, so... Again, like I said, I wasn't feeling all that stress, but I think my body was really stressed out from my seasonal allergies and just, you know, a combination of things that are happening. And I keep telling people that I'm a walking PSA for uh, not having a wedding. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Wedding planning hasn't been that stressful, though it certainly had its moments, but that combined with a lot of other things on my plate right now was uh, kind of a recipe for disaster. And your girl got shingles. So I'm trying to take it easy. Wanted to make sure we still got another episode up this week. And honestly, getting to work on the podcast is kind of a nice relief because there's not much else I can do right now. I can't really exercise. I can't really leave our home. So I'm sort of uh, bound to the couch and bed and our bench. And I'm, I'm trying to make the most of it while also supporting my overall self-care, which is a topic of conversation we really get into in this episode. And I'm so happy we tackled it because I really feel like Latham, who is the guest on today's episode, really hit the nail on the head. So today's episode, we are going to be talking about pregnancy and fertility and how to prepare your body for pregnancy, what it means to have a doula, but also get into a conversation around self-care and, and why self-care is important, not just for like the role you play in every day of your life, but also for motherhood, if that's something that you choose to do. So I hope you guys enjoy this episode. As always, if you want to leave a review on iTunes, just letting me know that you're enjoying the show or if you have feedback for me, that's a really great place to do it. I so appreciate everyone who has left a review and, you know, 
I got shingles, so I would really appreciate any review that you want to leave. It really does help us bring more awesome guests on the show and might just boost my spirits a little bit. And don't forget to join the THM tribe where we're chatting about all things like, you know, shingles and essential oils and stress relief and just so many topics and issues that we all run into and like Latham says in the episode, we we need our, our tribe, we need our people, we need people around us to raise us up. And if that's something that you don't feel like you really have a lot of in your home life, know that the THM tribe is a wonderful place to do that. I'm there and there's so many amazing women there who just want to make people feel better. So would love if you joined. It's just facebook.com slash groups slash THM tribe. And with that, let's jump into the episode. Here's Latham. Oh wait, one thing. Hang out until the end of the episode so you can hear who's coming up next week as well as a couple show notes. So talk to you then. Hi, Latham. Welcome to the show. Oh my God, Davida. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so honored to have you on the show today. You were actually mentioned by a previous guest on the show. So at the very end, I ask a series of hot seat questions. And one of the questions is, is there a person who you admire? And someone mentioned you. And it was really exciting to discover you and your work and I kind of jumped in full force and you know here we are a couple months later and you're on the show so I'm very very excited to have you here I love that that's amazing <laughs> awesome so I'm I'm familiar with your background because as I said I definitely jumped in full force to learn everything I could about you but I would love if you could share with the listeners a bit more about who you are and how you launched Mama Glow Sure. So I'm um, Latham from California. I'm actually from Northern California, from Oakland. Um, I grew up there. I had an incredible exposure to the outdoors and um, just grew up really surrounded by life cycles that um, we revered. And um, one of the most uh, influential ones was when um, my mother, my great aunt and another aunt of mine, we're all pregnant at the same time. I was four years old. My cousin, who was maybe 16 months older, and I were both expecting siblings. And so we were fascinated by this cycle, by, you know, this time in um, our parents' lives. And and um, we were at the height of um, the belly. So we're walking around. We would kind of like just be at eye level to gaze at our mom's bellies. And so um, my mother was very... Um, ahead of her time, I think with, you know, making sure that we had an understanding of the magic of the body and, um, a reverence, um, I think now is something that we see in popular culture that my mom was really ahead of the game with. And so she, um, encouraged the education and me understanding sacred anatomy and knowing, um, the body parts. And I remember, um, I would go out with her and people would say like, oh, you have, um, you're going to have a little baby sister in your mom's belly. And I was like, um, actually my mom's carrying a baby in her uterus and it's going to come out of her vagina. And <laughs> that's amazing. This kid is like too much. And my mom was just like, well, no, that's just, you know, that's the actual way that, you know, we language the body. So, you know, she's just speaking the truth. And so I kind of grew up in that kind of household, right? Where my mom was really matter of fact and made sure that I was well prepared for um, everything and particularly around um, our bodies. And so um, fast forward, I wouldn't 
I guess, realize until later when I would play with my cousin and we would um, stuff Cabbage Patch dolls under our shirts um, and pretend to deliver each other's babies. We didn't realize, you know, I didn't realize at the time that later it would influence me so much that I would want to work to support women in this way through childbirth. And so, um, you know, my work really began, um, you know, the sort of rabbit hole effect, right, of of diving into some place and, and allowing yourself to become immersed um, and lost in a world really, for me, started the pregnancy of my son. And he's 14 now. And so 15 years ago, when I was pregnant, I was, um, you know, living in New York City and looking for a holistic way to take this journey and um, one of the things that was really difficult was finding practitioners and, you know, products and vetting the services and the entire landscape of, you know, um, different, you know, wellness uh, um, uh, modalities. Like it was just really hard because the Internet wasn't what it is today. And I was the only person really in my friend group at the time that was having a baby And, um, I just didn't have a lot of resources at my fingertips. And so at that time I decided to, um, vet the practitioners, products and services that I could. And I also, um, wanted to make sure that it could be a process that was easier for people. I remember one of the crazy moments was, um, when I called an OBGYN and I was hoping to get an appointment with them and they weren't able to get me one for like eight months. And I was like astounded. And I found out that that was just like the racket in New York that you like couldn't get in with certain doctors. And I found that to be unacceptable. And, um, so I wanted to make sure that, you know, as I took this journey that I was able to help educate other women. And so even though I was amassing all this information that much of which I didn't benefit from while I was pregnant, but I was able to pass on Um, it was still important for me to be able to do that work to help others. And so that's like what I did. And I, um, would sort of build the business while my son was sleeping. I was kind of drafting and creating flow charts and deciding like how to start, you know? And I think that, um, you know, a lot of people when they're early on in the inception of a process, um, seem, you know, can get nervous or find trepidation or excuses for why not to approach it. But for me, I found it to be, um, incredibly empowering and liberating to choose to do something about, um, you know, what I saw to be, uh, a a space where women weren't supported. I found it to be an area of great strength and one that I knew I could, um, you know, set a trail ablaze for other women who wanted to also do this work. And, um, and so I, I sought to sort of fill a need. And I think a lot of us are, you know, really doing that on this earth where we're, we're um, meeting needs. Absolutely. And it sounds like that was really the foray almost into exploring what it means to be a doula. And I think, you know, there are people who are unfamiliar with what it means to be a doula and, was that something that you wanted to be incorporated into Mama Glow or was that, you know, just something that based on the experience of 
birthing your son, you just felt like it was a calling for you. I would love to just kind of hear a bit more about what it what it means to be a doula and, you know, how how that's, you know, basically become a cornerstone of, of your whole career. Yeah. So um, I actually came to it through resistance. I wasn't interested in um, delivering babies in that way. Um, I've always been fascinated with birth. I've always, um, I've attended and assisted and caught babies. And I never thought that in the beginning. Um, I always thought that I would do more like nutrition and yoga and just be like a presence of support, but not necessarily like along the birth continuum. And I think I was resisting it for a very long time. And I think that that happens to many of us where, you know, you hear something scratching at the window and then you kind of like turn your head and ignore it or put on your headphones or we find all different ways to ignore uh, the voice or the call. Right. And so um, I think I was really I was deliberately um, and I've done this in other areas of life. I'm a tourist, so we're super stubborn. And so even when I know I'm meant to if I'm not at the moment ready, I just, I just allow it to keep coming up until it comes loud enough that I can't deny it. And so, um, and I'm in my adulthood, I've become so astute with, you know, answering the call, like when the phone rings, you know what I mean? It's like when the, um, the moment comes where it's like, okay, I'm being asked to do this. I don't understand necessarily why I don't need to understand why, because I'm being asked to do this. Right. And that means like spirit is putting it on my heart for a reason. So I'm, I'm not even asking questions. I'm, I'm letting God order my steps at that point. And so in this, I I would say earlier, um, even knowing that I was meant to do something, I would still, you know, take my time to get there. So with the doula, um, I remember I was at an ashram teaching and it was my birthday. And so they did a puja ceremony. And, um, and then after there was a Vedic astrologer and he said, um, that he was going to do a birthday reading and in the reading, uh, reveal a bunch of stuff on my life's path that he wanted to share with me that would, you know, enable me to, um, have more, um, you know, like peripheral vision, you know, as I was moving forward. And so, um, I obliged, I was super excited to go and, um, and I sat with him and he, um, threw some, uh, cowrie shells and did some divination work and, um, and like did all these kind of numbers and, and, um, there was like dust. I remember it was very dark where we were and, um, very beautiful of a, of a moment. And he said to me super clearly, um, amongst other things that I couldn't make out very well. Um, he said, you're supposed to mother the mother. And I said, Hmm, I'm already kind of doing that. Like, and I explained to him what I did already. He was like, yeah, but it's deeper than that. It's like really deeper than that. And I was like, okay. I was like, well, we can't be talking about doula. And I I just had no idea, but I was like, I'm sure it's not that. And so I, um, I remember I left and came back to the States. He gave me some numbers to remember, um, which I wrote down. And of course I'm like looking for the numerology and everything, right? Like for the first week or so. 
And I remember as I was settling back into my life and, um, and not thinking as much about what he said, but it was still sort of an undercurrent. Um, I remember, well, I don't remember filling this out, but I, I applied for a fellowship and I don't even remember filling out the paperwork to do it, but apparently I did. And, um, so I unconsciously and consciously filled out this, uh, information and I remember receiving the information about the fellowship, but I don't remember the follow through part. It was almost like, um, I was, I was, I was really like in a state of, um, like awakened life, you know, like just really tapped in when I filled it out. And so when I got an email, um, and this is a time when people didn't really check their email every day. And, um, so I remember getting an email and looking at the date on it and it said, um, you've been, um, accepted to this fellowship program for doulas and health, you know, it was like a health educator program with nurses and all these, uh, it was in a hospital, it was in partnership with a hospital. And also, um, it was a community doula program. And I was like, oh, that's awesome. And I looked at the date and it was one of the dates that corresponded to what he um, gave me in my reading. And so it was super clear and super, so clear. But beyond that, it was just like so loud. There was like no ignoring that. And um, I just, I accepted. I, you know, it was a very intense and long program. And um, and I dove right in, like, I didn't even question it. I dove right in. It was so, um, one of those things for me that felt so aligned with where I was, I was finally ready, I think. And so, um, it was like ready or not, let's dive in. And so, um, I did, and I designed my life in a way that I was able to support many women and, you know, take, um, multiple births in a month and, you know, also be able to take care of my family and take care of myself. And it was a really great time for me. And, um, you know, now I'm in a place where, um, you know, I can educate younger doulas. I mentor younger doulas and, and take like phone calls and, and really help people in, um, you know, being better servant leaders. Um, you know, we have a, a space where we educate and support expectant new moms as well as um, fertility um, clients. And so I've been able to not only design a, um, a life around the work that I love, but really also, um, you know, a business that constantly feeds me back. It constantly, um, you know, supports the people around me, but also um, you know, I'm in the lives of so many people and I get to celebrate so many life events, you know, um, for people and transitions. So it's been, um, a blessing that's, I mean, the gift that keeps, you know, um, giving unto me and, and those that I love. And I think it's been a teacher, you know, birth is like a, a great teacher to us. Absolutely. And I just, I, I really resonates with me the idea of like having this, this calling, but like you, you just don't feel ready for it or it's just not the right thing. And it, it like scratches at your soul. Like I, I so get that. I've had that with yoga 
teacher training. Mm. And it's been, you know, it's one of those things where I've felt like I was going to do it one day, but I was like, it's not the right time. It's not the right time. It's not the right time until the call was so loud that I was like, it's the right time. Even though I don't know what I'll, I'll do with it. I don't know, you know, if I'll ever teach. I don't, I don't know. There's so many factors that are unknown. And yet it's something that you absolutely must do. And that's exactly like how I felt about yoga teacher training. And it sounds like you've had, you know, a similar experience with becoming a doula. And it has, you know, ended up being this journey that has launched into so much more. And, you know, sometimes you don't even realize as you're going through the process of, becoming something or training in something like you have no foresight into what it will be in your life and then it ends up being such a defining moment and you know for you becoming a doula it, it sounds like it was you know it, it ended up completely changing the trajectory of your life even though you know in many ways you were supporting women through the childbirth process in other ways this is such an intimate experience and you've helped bring so many children into the world and supported their mothers through the process and you know I'm wondering for people who are unfamiliar with what a doula is or you know anyone who might be expecting who is listening why they might you know consider having a doula you know what what would you share with them yeah sure so a doula is a um a support partner, like a cheerleader. Uh, one of my clients basically says um, that I'm a producer for your birth. Um, and it is much like that. It's, it is like considering all of your needs and anticipating your needs and cheerleading for you, advocating for you, and also making sure that you're well-educated and um, feeling the spiritual fitness that's required as well as, um, you know, the emotional and, um, physical space around you being ready, you know, for, for this journey. And so it's someone who is keenly aware of the, uh, of how the experience will, can be, and who can help navigate no matter what turn it takes, um, and they can help keep you calm. The um, presence of a doula can um, take the the length of a labor down by like 50%. So it can decrease the length of your labor. Um, there are studies that show that the presence of a doula at your birth also can minimize the number of interventions, um, medical interventions that could lead to, um, you know, more of a medicalized birth or even a, um, surgical delivery. So I think that it's, to me, it's one of those things that's like not a non question. It's something that I believe if it's, especially if it's your first time that it's worth, um, looking into. Um, but I think every woman should have it. This is how we evolved. We did not, um, have babies alone. We had babies in support of other women around us. Um, we were, you know, I mean, in situations where, uh, you know, sometimes the men were separate and the women were always together uh, through the process. And so, um, this is a modern version of, of, you know, a birth circle where, you know, you just have one provider, um, with you along with your doctor and, and your partner. And that's what it's going to be, um, a presence of support to, to create a space, to hold the space while you, um, journey into new motherhood. Absolutely. And I think, you know, there's so many questions that come up 
through the entire birth process, whether, you know, it be your first trimester or, you know, now that we, we talk a lot about the fourth trimester, there's so many, you know, questions that come up and it's so challenging to navigate and, and understand, you know, what your options are, but also how those align with your own personal choices and just having someone there who can help you explore those options is super helpful. I mean, I'm speaking from someone who has never given birth, but as someone who in the future might want to have children, you know, I can't even imagine how many questions come up and having someone who's there to help you explore those answers. It must be so, so helpful. And I think, you know, that's why doulas are becoming increasingly, you know, more active throughout the the birth process because of all of these questions and because of all of these options. And you know, I'm wondering how does having a doula work within sort of our understanding of like Western medicine? Like would a doula be present in a hospital or are they in your home or how does that look? Yeah, you can have a doula in any setting. Um, It's not about what type of birth you um, start out with or that you desire. Um, I know people who are having planned C-sections because for reasons out of their control, Um, there are people who go in to a hospital that are looking to have a natural birth and it ends up going, you know, into emergency C-section or you have people where, you know, their intention is to deliver at home and that's where it happens, you know? So it really depends. And, you know, one thing about, um, the body is that it's wild. It's not something that you can control. It's not a process. Birth, I should say, is not a process that can be controlled. The only way that, um, it can be managed is, um, through medical, um, you know, interventions, right? So, uh, if there are, um, you know, drugs administered to, you know, create certain, um, types of, uh, outcomes, then that's the only way you can modulate what's already naturally happening in the body. And so, um, I know for many doctors that's preferable because they're used to, um, you know, managing a process and like making things happen in a process and knowing how long that takes. And birth is something that, you know, somebody can come in and five hours later they have a baby. Someone else can come in at the same time and 36 hours later they have a baby. So it's, it's one where I think, um, you know, there's a lot of mystery, even though we know everything anatomically possible about the body and, and the anatomy of labor and birth, it's still a mystery and it's still magical and it's still, um, sacred. It's a moment where, you know, spirit and flesh meet and, and enter into this plane. So it's holy, you know, at the same time, it's not just like another patient in a hospital. So I think, um, you know, it's really important to have someone who's, who's grounded in the magic of and wisdom of a woman's body present. If you're going to be in a hospital setting where it is harder to navigate, um, the, you know, even if people are, you know, pro natural birth and it's still hard to navigate the hospital sometimes. And you may have a doctor who's not, you know, as, um, who's more conservative and it really depends on, you know, who you're working with, where you are, your, your exact, um, situation. And, um, because of that, it's really helpful to have someone who can help you to, um, 
you know, like mitigate what's going on and who could be a really great liaison. We don't make any choices for, um, for families, but we inform them so that they can make best, their best choices around um, process, especially moment to moment when you're in the hospital or birth center um, or at home. Um, you know, if you deliver at home and you deliver with midwives, um, doctors do not deliver at home. So that's the main difference is that in a home or um, birth center, you're likely to deliver with um, midwives, although there are some doctors that deliver in birth centers that are attached to hospitals or or inside of hospitals. But a freestanding birth center would be midwives delivering, and that means a birth center that is um, not exclusively attached to a hospital. Yeah, and it sounds like you're really in many ways kind of an advocate for the mom who you know is going through an extremely challenging experience, especially, you know, when they're delivering. And it's hard to see and think clearly when, you know, things are happening so quickly or not happening so quickly and you're in pain. And, you know, it's just especially for new mothers, it's really, really challenging to to navigate that kind of process. So to have a, a voice in there who can almost be sort of that sounding board for your own voice can be really helpful because just getting in touch with your intuition when your body is in pain or when, you know, so many people are basically bombarding you with information or as things change really quickly, you know, being able to think clearly is really challenging. And having, you know, witnessed so many births at this point, I know this is kind of a, a general question, but what what's the number one piece of advice you would have for, you know, expectant moms who maybe it's their first time or maybe it isn't? What what advice would you give them that you think could could really make a difference through their pregnancy process? I mean, I I don't know if I have just one, but but I would say um you know, going back to what you said about uh you know, it's hard to th- think in the process, right? I mean, birth is not a process where we think. It has nothing to do with thinking, has nothing to do with, is all primal. It's like the primal brain is on, the thinking brain is off when you're having really good labor. Um, It is your ancestral wisdom kicks in. If you're supported, you have the safety to to be in the zone, right? And so birth is a trance, really. So um, all we do really is just hold the space so you can be in a trance ideally. Right. So, um, and I think like with advocating, I want to be clear that we do not make decisions. We do not challenge doctors. We do not, we, we are, we work for the family. So, um, if something comes up, it's, it's my job to make sure that they really understand like the pros, the cons, like what our options are so that they can make decisions. So we never speak on behalf of clients. Um, we, we can only, you, you know, we can, we can juggle what we have and sort of like try to press lemonade out of lemons when there are situations where there's little to work with, you know, try to buy time, like, you know, do all kinds of tricks. But, um, but it's really important to, for people to know that, it's not like uh, you don't hire somebody like this to make decisions for you or to take your um, power away so that you can kind of, you know, like kick back and think I'm going to do it all because we do it all together. So, um, yeah, so that's one piece. And then the other piece I would say, um, is it's about, um, you know, support is all about letting people be where they are. Um, 
I think that, you know, there's a miss, um, a, like a misreading in culture on what women are experiencing when they're, um, delivering babies and, uh, it's a rite of passage. And so I'd like to reframe this idea of it being pain. It's not pain. Um, it's sensation and the sensation is intense or it's like, okay to handle. But I think that if we're using this lens of pain, the way that we see it in other aspects of our life, like suffering and, um, or I stub my toe, I feel, you know, like there's a nerve response. Right. And so this is, um, the sensation is communication between mom and baby, right. So that the baby can descend. And so every single sensation we call contractions, you can call them waves. I call them waves, rushes, sometimes surges of energy, right? It's just energy. So if you think about it as being pain, you're going to feel pain. If you think about it as each sensation that I feel is helping me move towards meeting my child, is helping to soften and open my body, is helping to, you know, squeeze all of the water out of the baby and pump the lungs of the baby and relax the baby as he drops into the sacred passageway and out of my body. If we're thinking like that, which is how we orient our clients before they go into labor, they are not going into the process afraid. They are not going into this process thinking, oh my God, it's going to be so painful because we do a lot of exercises, mind-body exercises around reframing what pain is because it's not pain that gets you, it's, it's a different thing. And I think that until we start honoring women's bodies and what they can do and the magic and wisdom of what they can do, like it, we're diminishing the value and the glory of what happens through a woman's body when we just call it painful. Do you know what I mean? It takes away mystery. It takes away from the magic and the, the majesticness of what it is to push a human out of your body. It is, it's so much more than that. So I wanted to say that first, because I think that I don't, I don't like to like perpetuate that type of dialogue that, that supports like a narrative that people have been hearing all their lives that it's painful. I've, I mean, I had moments in the birth where I was in total bliss and at the very end I was, and I didn't categorize it as pain. I felt it differently because of, and I feel it completely differently now when I get my cycle, I have cramps that I'm like, how was I able to deliver my baby if I'm like thinking this is painful, right? So I know that it was something else that was happening in my body and a different awareness also that made it so that I was able to move through the birth process and deliver my son in in a trance. So, um, and you can't be in pain in a trance. Yeah, totally. I think that alone is like an incredible piece of wisdom. And I know especially hearing that from you, I've always been very afraid of the birth process. It's not something that, you know, I'm planning for right now, but, you know, in the future, I think that's something that I want. And I've always had a piece of, fear around it because of the pain and just the idea of reframing it as something that isn't painful but primal 
that, you know, is something that is leading you closer to meeting your child, that you're going through this with your child, just even changing your perspective in that. I know that's been super helpful for me, like kind of having an enlightened moment right now. And I could imagine that anyone, you know, who is expecting right now or, you know, hoping to have a child in the future, that is just an incredible piece of advice that can be so, so helpful for so many women. Yeah. Yeah. I think that, I think that we need to be hearing this more, right. And, and telling each other, um, I think we need to be telling each other triumphs of what we've experienced in our bodies, like ways that our bodies did things right, you know, because we hear so much of the opposite and we hear, and basically if you're born female, um, you're pretty much told at an early age that your body is flawed and that there's, it's like an accident waiting to happen, you know? And when you go into the hospital, this is the lens, right? That something's wrong. So that's why you're here. Yeah. Like it's, and even though there's nothing wrong, even though you're there to deliver a baby. So I, I just want us like, you know, women and leaders and uh, teachers to really like know that, um, you know, each of us got here because someone was brave enough and, you know, loving enough and also courageous and, and open enough, right. Opened all the way up. Right. So that you could make your way here. So, um, so I, so yeah, so that's why I, I say that because, because I know that, um, you are very specific with the language that you use as well. You know, even I'm, I, I think I'm unconsciously aware of the language that I use around, birth and around motherhood, I think partially because it's something that I haven't experienced, but that's not to say that I don't have a lot of room to learn. And also, you know, as, as a woman to be able to explore what, what that means before, you know, Mm. even going through this process, I think that this is a really powerful conversation that, you know, many women should be thinking around, how, how am I framing this? You know, what is my perspective on, on childbirth? Is it supposed to be something that I, you know, need to prepare for and get my battle gear on and need to push through the pain? Whereas like, you know, rather, rather focusing on the the beauty and the gift of it and, and how transformative it can be. And, and in many ways, a privilege to be able to, to go through this experience. Yes, I love that. It's a privilege. It's amazing. Yeah. So I have a, I do have a question for you. As someone who, you know, hasn't gone through this process, what what would you say, you know, besides, you know, kind of reframing what the experience is, like what things can you prepare your body for for pregnancy, even if it's not on your radar right now? Oh, that's a good question. You know, I think that um I think that for people, for women, I should say, who are, and men, but really for women who know that one day this might be something that's a discussion on, on their table. Um, it's important to really start taking care of your body. So, and I, I know it sounds so simple, so cliche, but you know, when we think about the times that we live and just the existential stress that we, you know, take on and, you know, our, our fast paced, accelerated lifestyles and, um, you know, just also knowing that pretty much all women take care of everyone else before they take care of themselves, right? Like all of that, that you're carrying to start off. Um, you know, we have to mother ourselves 
and learn how to um, fortify our bodies so that we're starting with a really sound, um, you know, building blocks, right? And you want to start off with um, everything that you need, right? So that the baby, so the body, I should say, doesn't have to leach from other aspects of your of your tissues, other areas of your body to sustain itself in the early stages of pregnancy. So what that means is your baby is um, built from what's already in you, like what you're already made of, not like what you're eating. People are like, oh yeah, like eating for two. There's really no such thing. And so if you're, you, you know, right now you're eating for two. Right now, when you're not pregnant, you're building, you're creating the building blocks for what will become your child. You were also born with all of your eggs, right? So it's it's kind of like taking care of what you've had since since birth, right? So um, if we think about it, like right now, you know, you're carrying like you're carrying generations inside of you. That's to me when I think about it like that, I feel like it's a sacred responsibility, right? To not only look after who's to come. Um, but look after myself with pride in knowing that a choice that I make today could impact, right, my my future, my lineage. Again, you know, macro, micro, like that kind of dance between, you know, what's happening in this moment to what's happening in a larger scale. It can make people feel more connection um, and responsibility to self in a way that they might not have felt if they didn't put it in context. Definitely. And it sounds like this in many ways was the inspiration for writing your your newest book. And and I love a quote from it that says that self-care is not a cool lifestyle trend, but a survival strategy. It's a pathway to empowerment. And that's something that totally has resonated with me and, and as a an advocate for, you know, self-care, not just in the, you know, blissful spa day kind of way but in the what do you really need to survive today kind of way I love that you were talking about this so I would love to hear a bit more about your inspiration for writing the book yeah so I had I had written Mama Glow in 2012 and I I did this two book deal um with Hay House and it was sort of like you know what's next we really want a um they, I had done this experience on a stage and my acquisitions editor was like, I want exactly that in a book. I was like, what? And I was like, well, that was like, I mean, I was like, I don't even remember what I did. And so I remember trying to like voice, you know, what it was that she experienced and I couldn't figure it out, but I knew what I wanted women to, I knew where I wanted to hold women's hands and where I wanted to take them. And so I was like, I'm just going to write this book about a journey that I want women to take with themselves. And I want women to return home to themselves. And that's what this journey is about. And so, um, it took actually a long time. I had, um, the first book I wrote in like three months, um, this book I wrote over a period of years and it was like, I, I started it, I put it down, I started it. I had, we had a fire. I couldn't write for a very long time because I was like displaced. And, you know, I only write if I feel inspired. Like I don't, I'm not this type of person who sits down and it's like, okay, let me write a blog post. Like I write because I feel compelled to write. I speak because I feel compelled to speak. Um, so I, 
waited for that. And then I remember I, I would sit down and just like words would pour through my fingertips. And that is what I wanted to gift to women was, was that. And I edited and edited and edited and, you know, like pulled certain things, moved stuff to other areas, really found my way with it. And I was, I, I would say that, you know, for anyone who is on a path to personal growth, who's really trying to um, reclaim their bodies as sacred, understand the the body through a, a lens of um, of empowerment and and you know ancient principles that can be applied to modern living, um, along with you know creativity, like really just like becoming your best self. It's really a book about that. And, and one that you can return to. Um, and it's just embedded with many rituals. And for me, it was just about like creating a book for people that help them understand how I live my life, but also, um, you know, in a way that they could find to live their own. And so, um, it's just for all women, you know, you can definitely be pregnant and read this book, but it's for all women. And, um, and it is about, about, learning to become your best self and, and also falling in love with yourself. Um, that's why, you know, it's like crowning your inner queen, you know, like we need to be the ones to, to tell ourselves that we're enough and, um, and that wherever we are is, is the best place to start. Yeah. And I mean, that so resonates with me and I know it is resonating with a lot of people listening because we live in this, you know, hustle culture that is constantly seeking external validation, even, you know, in the ways that we care for ourselves. And I'm, I'm seeing it happen where, you know, self-care has sort of become this almost like beauty movement. It's like, how can I self-care more beautifully than other people? And right. and I, you know, I'm all for spreading the message, but at the same time, like my version of self-care isn't necessarily the most glorious bubble bath with flowers floating in it and, you know, the the perfect playlist playing. All of those things are all wonderful if you can support yourself like that. But how do you help people who, you know, feel so trapped in the comparison game and, and seek mm-hmm. such external validation for their own self-worth? How do you help them kind of cut through that noise and get back to that inner voice? That is so amazing. I love that you brought that up. So, you know, I think that it's important to connect with the um, the real essence of what self-care is about, which is um, it's not just what you do, but what you don't do, right? It's um, creating boundaries. It's learning to say no. It's um, staying in bed um, you know, in, instead of rushing around and doing things for people, you know, that won't appreciate you anyway. Um, it's eating well, it's making decisions on a moment to moment basis that support where you are in this moment. Like what do you need right now? What's going to be good for you and all involved? What's going to serve you best in this moment, right? It's checking in. And so more than anything else it's checking in. And so all of the other things like the baths, which I love, the massage, which I love, like everything, I love all of that. I do a lot of that. I just think that, um, you know, many people who will share um, their 
bowl bath or their massage or whatever, aren't doing it often. Right. Like, so when they do show that they're like, yes, you know, I'm doing that. Or like you said, it might be using the the tools of social media to create, um, some sort of, um, supremacy. Right. And I think that that can be dangerous if people feel like it's, um, something that they can't afford to do, or it's not accessible to them. And self-care, I mean, it starts with self, right? So it's for you, it's for everyone, but it also comes from um, a legacy of resistance. So it wasn't about um, being self-indulgent, which I have no problem with and I'm not against. I think that we need to indulge ourselves. I don't think we indulge ourselves enough. I think we don't love on ourselves enough. So I would never be against, you know, being indulgent, but um, but the, 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 the nexus point, um, where self-care really sort of grew out of was out of movements, out of resistance movements where people were beat down and, you know, emotionally distraught and exhausted and away from their families and, you know, fighting in the resistance, use these principles and tools to pour into themselves so that they could continue the fight. So it was not about like who has the best bath selfie. It was not about, you know, who can, um, you know, share like the best spa, you know, whatever you said, like about the spas, right. It was not about that. You're right. It, it was about like people like reclaiming their time, like representative Maxine Waters says, right. It was about taking the time for yourself to fill back up. And so if we think about it from the point of resistance, look at what we're facing now in in the face of social justice movements that are alive and thriving in the political environment that we live in, in this country. Um, it's now more than ever very necessary to engage these practices so that we're well, right? If you're going to be on the front lines, if you're going to be marching, if you're going to be you know, challenging the system, if you're going to be um, in service of women, if you're going to be in service of your clients, like whatever you're doing, you have to pour into yourself, right? So so because the world wants us to turn away from ourselves and not love ourselves, you know, there's going to be lots of things that come up in people and news and all kinds of stuff about like why it's bad and this is a trend that needs to go and all these things. But really, I think we have to figure out where we fit in. Like, where does this make sense for me? Where do I feel most supported? What do I need to thrive? And make a make a um, a, a system that works for you, you know? Like, I have a practice, I call it glow time. I talk about it in the book um, a lot and how we need to develop our own glow time practice, your own self-care practice that's reflective of how you live your life. And that's different for each of us. So, so I think that people have to figure that out for themselves and not try to be the next person because comparison is, um, you know, a cruel master, you know, you don't want to be in a situation where you cannot go on social media without having freaking heart palpitations because you're trying to be like somebody else. Right. So I think that if that, if you are following accounts, that do that to you, that make you not feel good about yourself, you need to unfollow. If you are surrounded by people who make you feel like you don't have enough already as you are, you need to like spend less time and you need to go in places where you feel 
filled up and where you feel fulfilled in who you are and what you bring to the table. You need to find those types of spaces to, to spend your time and your energy rather than being around people who, um, make you feel like where, where you are, isn't enough. And, um, and that's all I have to say about the comparison piece, because I know it's bothering people. I know it's like, you know, a competition where people are like out here buying stuff and setting the stage for photographs that are going to be in their cell phones. You know what I mean? It's like, you're staging a photograph that's going to live on your phone. And it's yeah. going to live on social media. It's not even going to be a moment that you enjoy because you're trying to get the best shot. Right. So really take the bath and put your phone elsewhere out of the room. Try phone fasting. Don't have your phone. Take a real bath. Doesn't have to be with roses. Doesn't have to be, you know, the, the prettiest of baths, but go soak and see if you don't feel better after soaking. You know what I mean? Really allow yourself to, to be with yourself. Yeah. And I think, you know, there's almost this movement of like proving your own self-care and I've noticed that in my own life and with the people that I gravitate to, it's less, you know, how many moments of self-care they can show me or prove to me. It's that they're living in a way that feels truly authentic to them. And they are, you know, as you express, like, they are living in their glow and it's, you know, you gravitate towards those people and maybe you ask questions of how, you know, how they're caring for their themselves, how, you know, are they supporting themselves that they're able to, you know, have, have such light in the world and many times we don't even know what they're doing behind the scenes and, and you can ask questions, but I think, you know, basically living in a way where you're supporting yourself first People will will then follow. People will be attracted to that. But there's no need to prove to the world, you know, how much you love yourself and how much you care for yourself. Right. And I think it's exactly that. If you do love and care for yourself, then like it's like the world will see that through your actions, not necessarily your posts. But I do think um, another thing to add to what you said was, um, you know, this idea of like you know, making sure you voice it is so interesting because I'll see things that people will say like, Oh, um, I'm logging off and I'm going to be doing X, Y, and Z. And it's like, well then just log off. Like nobody's asking, you don't have to give our, get our permission or nobody needs you to like explain to them why you're going to be not online. I mean, I have days and sometimes weeks that go by not really weeks, but probably a week where I don't go on Instagram at all. Like I won't even go check messages or, or maybe I'll just, you know, go and, um, post something and then I leave. But sometimes I just don't want to, I, it's a time suck. I don't want to spend time there when I'm like walking down the street. I want to live life. Right. So I don't go. And, um, and I, I had a friend, I remember she was like, yeah, I'll, I'll be, um, I won't be on here. And I was like, well then don't be on here. Like nobody's asking you to be on here. Like just live your life. Don't feel tethered to these tools. Like don't let them govern your life. Don't live your life by what people think your life is. Right. And, um, and be attached to what you want people to think your life is really be living your life. Right. And so that isn't, you don't have to say to people, if you're really going to take time off and log off and be living your best life, then just log off. You don't have to explain anything. Just go. And then when you come back, like, yeah, I was away and whatever, and it was fulfilling and I feel great and I'm back, you know, but I think sometimes for the validation, people want to let you know, right? Like I'm doing this. 
And I think that's part of, you know, this, this thing of, of creating socialized pressure where people are like, Oh, I got to do it too. I got to. And so there, you know, there's a constant like comparison and one upping each other on who's going to be the coolest at, like you said, it's self-care, but, but I think it's still important, right. That the work is being done and that people are voicing that they're, you know, wanting to take better care of themselves. I'm, I'm thankful for that. Um, but I, but I do think it could, it could have more depth, right. That people could actually be diving into, to doing a better job at actually practicing on a regular basis rather than talking about it. Completely. And, you know, I think this is a, a really nice transition into what it means to care for yourself as a mother, especially as a new mother. Because I know, you know, there's the constant comparison game of what we see online. But when you when you have a child or when you have children who who need you, how can you embrace self-care in a way that doesn't feel selfish? Because I think, you know, society makes mothers feel like they have to give everything to their children and they don't have time to care for themselves. Like what what advice would you have for them? Yeah, I would say during pregnancy, start to look at the people around you who are really, really great at things. Like you might have a friend who cooks really well. You might have a friend who has twins that could give you a lot of tips on twins. You might have, um, you know, a great friend who could just hold the baby while you take a shower, somebody that you like to go to yoga with, like really like look at your network, your sister circle and cultivate that because once the baby comes or the babies come, um, you're going to find that you want to be around adult human beings. You're going to find that you want that you're, you're going to find that your friends don't understand that they haven't adjusted to the fact that you're a mother. Uh, you're going to find that you feel alone. Um, sometimes you're going to find that, um, people won't show up in the way that they did, the first two weeks of life, um, you know, in the months and months down the line. Right. And so it's important to establish, um, you know, some routines around, uh, how you feel your best, how you feel most supported and gather with women, you know, like have a group of people or even one or two who can come over, that you can talk to, maybe the baby's still there, maybe they can take you out to brunch or something, but have connection with other women, gather, you know, it feels really good, it helps, it feeds you, you know, you feel really good when you meet with friends, true friends. So that's one piece, don't don't sacrifice or throw away friendship, you know, make sure that that stays at the top of your agenda for self-care, because it really does feed you to have a great conversation with girlfriends. Um, you know, having support of, um, a postpartum doula, I think is really helpful. Um, you know, when, when you're in new motherhood, uh, we know we talked a lot about birth doulas, but postpartum doulas are fantastic because it's basically having a nanny for you yourself. Right. So, um, that's really important. And then I would say, um, you know, if it were, if it were somebody with like older children, like I have a 14 year old, so somebody who has like, you know, a little bit older than a newborn, um, or anywhere along the continuum, you know, your, our kids learn from us. They learn from our patterns. They, they watch how we, you know, move through the world and they, they learn from us. If we don't take care of ourselves, we're sending a powerful message about what it means to, to love yourself. And they learn by watching us. So if you're not, taking care of yourself, if you're not getting good sleep, if you're not eating well, if you're not, you know, engaging in loving relationships, if you're not setting healthy boundaries, like our kids learn that, 
And so um, when we do, when we say, okay, I am going to take this bath, I'll be out in 20, everybody calm down, like do your thing, I'll be back in 20, you know? And you do that, like the kids learn, like, oh, mommy's in the bath, like I'll, you know, it'll wait, right? Um, It can wait, whatever it is. So I think that that's a powerful thing to teach. Um, What I know that my son has learned, um, it's so funny because he has this habit of coming home and wearing a bathrobe. Like as soon as he gets home, he takes a shower, he puts on a bathrobe and he does his homework. That's his thing. He just lounges. And I think it's so funny that, of course, my kid would be the one who's like walking around in like this bathrobe doing homework. (laughs) But and like he'll lay on the couch and read, you know, a book for school, you know, so he's very much like into, okay, I'm restoring myself. So um, I think they learn. And that's why it's important, right? Because we want them to learn how to treat their bodies and honor their needs. And they're going to take the example that we give them. And it's also going to help shape the other relationships in their lives. So you want to make sure that the message that you're sending out is, is the one that you want them to receive. Totally. And I have such distinct memories of my mom saying kitchen is closed. And that was sort of her way of saying I'm off duty. And she would go take a bath and read and just go do her thing. And I grew up with that knowing that that was my mom's time. And I see how, you know, for many years, I kind of ignored that part of myself and and pushed through, you know, feelings of caring for myself. And recently I've been caught saying kitchen is closed. So I definitely picked up, picked up a piece of self-care from her for sure. I love it. That's amazing. So before we jump off the call, I do want to ask you some of our hot seat questions. These are the questions that I asked every guest who comes on the show. So if you're ready, let's jump in. Sure. Cool. So the first question is, what's the one health habit you can't live without? I can't live without I don't know what I can't live without I, I mean, mean I love, self-care could be yeah, could be uh, one self-care is is yeah definitely um that's definitely part like in my bones <laughs> I wouldn't expect anything different from you so I love that um so the next question is is there a business or a business person who you look up to yeah let me think about that I have a bunch of people who I think do such great work. Um, one is Tanya Lewis Lee, who is a director and filmmaker and also a big health advocate, vegan, um, and has a, a line of vitamins called Movita, um, organics. And, um, I just love that, you know, she is bringing something to the world that, will help women, um, to feel their best and, you know, also to help them take their vitamins daily. It's a small business. I think it's great. Um, I, I look up to, um, I'm trying to think it's like, I feel like there's so many women that I love and admire, um, and that I support and pray over and, you know, I, I can't choose one, but I will say also, um, you know, Patrice Cullors of, um, you know, one of the co-founders of Black Lives Matter. She just yep. put out a book, um, when they call you a terrorist, good friend, Opal Tometi, also a co-founder of Black Lives Matter, very good friend also, um, doing incredible human rights work and immigrant, um, rights work. 
you know, there's just so many. It's like, I don't even know where to start with that. I could write you a, a, like a book on who I love and I think are amazing. But I, I think what it is that I admire, what I will say is the quality that I admire in people and, and particularly these people who I've spoken about is um, a an awareness of self and an actualization of self and um, and a conviction, right? In like who they are and what they're here to be doing. And I think that it's really important to cultivate that. And so all the women who I believe I, you know, just think are amazing in this world have that in common. Yeah. And I think in many ways you embody that as well. So it's definitely something that you admire in others, but also embrace yourself. So I think, I think that's a great list and hopefully, you know, some of them may be on the podcast in the future based on our experience today. Let's do that. Let's keep Let's keep it going forward, right? I love it. So the next question is, what advice would you have for your 20-year-old self? Wow, my 20-year-old self. Hmm. Be cool, stay in school. And no, I'm just kidding. I, I had a really, <laughs> a really fantastic um, college experience. No, I would say, um, you know, at 20, I would just say – I have like a niece that's 20. So I'm trying to remember what it was like to be 20. I, I remember though, just starting to feel myself as a woman, like really coming to know myself as a woman. And, um, I would just really say, don't cast your pearls to swine. You know, um, that's something that comes from the Bible. Um, but what it means is, um, you know, don't, give unto yourself to those who don't deserve, you know, there's going to be people who enter your life and who are masked and you might believe to be something that they're not. And, um, they don't deserve to be around you. And, um, and you may not know right away, but as soon as you sense it, listen to that wisdom and abort mission. You know what I mean? Like get out of the way of the protection, you know, oftentimes, we get these signals and we're like, oh, you know, but this person's so cool, but this, but there's always a butt involved. And whenever there's a butt involved and a comma, it's, you're protecting, you're not, you're, you're doing a disservice to yourself, right? You're protecting this person over your own needs. And I find that that happens not just with people, but, you know, making excuses for a job that you're in or an internship or a boyfriend or a girlfriend or whatever it is. I think that, you have to really understand your value and, um, you don't want to, um, give it up. You don't want to just hand over all of what you work so hard for. Absolutely. I think that that's a piece of advice we could all use more of in our life. I mean, it's something that I'm constantly learning. Yeah. That's what I would say. (laughs) I think that's a great response. So my last question is, what advice do you hope to get from your older self? Like, what have you not figured out that you hope that your older self will will tell you that you you got it figured out? Oh, um, how to be on time. (laughs) (laughs) I want to (laughs) learn. That's awesome. I think that that is great. That is great. So... Thank you so much, Latham, for coming on the show today. If people want to learn more about you and the work that you do, where can they find out more information? Yeah, they can go to um, 
mamaglow.com to see our work with expected new mommies. Um, if they want to find me specifically, I'm on Instagram at glowmaven, G-L-O-W-M-A-V-E-N. And yeah, and in my book, Own Your Glow, they can go to ownyourglowthebook.com and they can find out a ton of info on the book there too. And it's um, obviously available at um, all booksellers. I'm going to highly encourage you guys to go check out Latham and all of her work. I know that once I started digging into the archives, I was like, oh man, this this woman is incredible and truly you are. And I am so honored and grateful to have you on the show today. Oh, I'm so thankful to be here. Thank you again for making the time. This is so cool. And um, I just, I can't wait till you tell me that you're um, baby bound so that we can get into some more conversation offline. Oh man, <laughs> I I will definitely keep you posted. You are the person I'm going to call. So before, yes. before my mom, though, she would be mortified yes. to hear that. Awesome. Yes. Thank you so much, Latham. So there you have it. That is Latham Thomas. And I really feel like Latham opened up my mind to the idea of reframing how we view the birth process in pregnancy. I feel like it's something that I've always kind of dreaded. I know some women, you know, look forward to it their whole lives and are so curious and excited about what that feels like. And I feel like I've always been a little bit afraid of it. And Latham made me feel a little less afraid. So I so appreciate that. And I hope that message resonated with all of you and also her conversation around pain, because if anyone's had shingles, they know that it's pretty painful. So even though I'm not getting a baby out of this, I'm trying to view it as, you know, birthing an, a new version of me who is more patient and kind and really embraces self-care, whatever that looks like. So hopefully this can be avoided in the future. So trying to view it as sensation and not pain and just really reframing it. So thank you, Latham, for that. And I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. As I mentioned in the intro, feel free to leave a review if you enjoy the show. It just helps us bring more awesome guests like Latham onto the show. People look at the ratings and it really does make a difference. So please, please do that. I would so appreciate it. And once again, make sure you join the THM Tribe if you haven't already. It's just facebook.com slash group slash THM Tribe. And coming up next week, we're actually going to be having a conversation all about journaling. So we're going to be chatting with my friend, Mark Champagne, who is a journaling expert, and he kind of knows everything about it. And I'm excited to introduce you to him because he's an amazing human. So stay tuned for that one. In the meantime, happy healing for me, and I hope things are going well on your end. And I'll talk to you soon. Bye, guys. (music) 